Hey, everybody. This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. Today, we have our first in a series of special 2020 election town halls. The podcast has teamed up with Indivisible Tacoma and the Washington Indivisible Network to bring you a series of Q&A discussions with candidates in Washington state up and down the ballot. Everyone from congressional candidates to Supreme Court justices, lieutenant governors, legislative and county council candidates, and a lot more. Today's Q&A features Democratic candidates running for the state legislature in the 25th LD. Mayor Julie Dore, who is running for state Senate, and Jamie Smith and Brian Duffy, who are running for state representative in positions one and two, respectively. This was recorded live on the evening of April 15th. Well, I just want to say welcome to our first live Indivisible Town Hall. I'm Stephan Cox. I host the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I want to say special thanks, of course, to uh, Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and, of course, Julie Andrzejewski with Indivisible Tacoma. And thank you to all of you guys for joining us tonight. So we are going to be talking with three candidates who are running for state legislature in the 25th LD. And here is going to be the format. So we will talk briefly with each candidate. We will let them introduce themselves, hear about why they are running, talk a little bit about their personal stories, and then we will open things up to you, the listener, because tonight is for you. This is an opportunity for you to get to know these candidates and to interact with them a little bit, ask some questions. For obvious reasons, we can't have a town hall right now. So we are looking to create that environment here. So So please use the chat bar for your questions, and we will get to as many as possible. And so with that, uh, with us tonight are Mayor Julie Dorr. She is mayor of Puyallup, and she is running for state senate. Hello, Mayor Dorr. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Jamie Smith is also with us. She is a teacher and coach and is running for state representative in position one. Welcome, Jamie Smith. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And Brian Duffy is with us. He's a first responder with the Port of Seattle at SeaTac, and he is running for state representative in position two. Welcome, Brian Duffy. Thank you very much, Stefan, and uh, thank you for putting all this together. We really appreciate the chance to reach out to everyone. Well, we're really excited to uh, to facilitate as much as we can. So, uh, yeah, let's just jump right in, Mirador. Let's start with you. Your professional life has been as a as a chiropractor and a small business owner. You are currently mayor of Puyallup. Uh, you have served on the Puyallup City Council. Uh, tell us why you're running for state senate. I want to correct that. I'm not a chiropractor. My husband is. Okay. And okay. Thank you for the correction. I'm a licensed massage therapist, so I just don't want to be misrepresenting my profession. Perfect. Um, so I was born and raised in the 25th LD, and my family still lives here. I'm raising my own children here, and my husband and I own the small business here. And I'm a really passionate person, and one of the issues that I'm passionate about is the ho- is homelessness. Um, this is incredibly important to me, and people in the 25th are really passionate on all sides of that issue but the solutions aren't clear. It's my belief that in order to address homelessness, we need to address the causes. We need to address mental health, substance abuse, affordable housing, and anything else that we can do. Homelessness is a symptom, it's not the problem. Um, In my six and a half years as a locally elected official, it has become evident that we need more resources to address these issues. And I've been one of the few consistent voices on this, and I've taken some tough votes. But I really want to get to Olympia and work with colleagues across the region to bring resources home to address this issue. Okay. Terrific. And uh, absolutely uh, put a pin in that because I know that we have several questions already about homelessness. So we'll come back to that later. Uh, You became mayor in 2020. It's obviously an extraordinarily challenging time to be on the job right now. You talk on your website about how the local economy and small businesses in the 25th are very much a priority for you. And I'm wondering, how has the pandemic impacted the economy in Puyallup and and how have you responded? So initially, well, let me see. The small businesses are really the heart of our community, each community. It's what makes us unique. Um, and as a small business owner, I am feeling and I'm seeing and feeling those impacts of COVID-19 firsthand. We've had the heartbreak, we have had to make the heartbreaking decision of cutting staff hours, which is something we really didn't want to do. We've had to decrease some of our availability to serve our patients. And it's been incredibly hard. We're very much, we very much want to be available for our patients we need to keep them safe. Um, we have a, we're a large Medicare practice, and so making sure that we're not putting anybody at risk there has been important. 
but we need to be able to pay our overhead and still ensure we are complying with social distancing um, required by the stay home, stay healthy order. The loss of revenue is frightening. Yeah. It's something my husband and I are constantly addressing. And do we cut this? Do we prioritize that? And the reason I'm telling you that is this dialogue isn't unique. Um, as an elected official, I'm talking with our small businesses on a daily basis. I had a call from a small business owner recently, and she called me in tears as she had to furlough her employees. Initially, she was covering their salaries and happily doing so, but it came down to where her resources were being depleted really quickly, and she had to make a tough decision to, to furlough those workers to save the business. Um, and when you hear about the small business community, it's not just numbers, it's people. It's been devastating to see small businesses shutting down and workers losing their jobs during this time. And it's impacting the small business community. The truth of the matter is that this pandemic is really going to see devastating outcomes to our, on our economy. And although I can't say what the fallout of the pandemic is gonna be for certain, I'm sure that the next legislative session will be filled with difficult decisions that need to be addressed to rebuild our state's economy. And I wanna focus on our local economy by supporting our small businesses, investing in infrastructure that creates and attracts jobs and supports families. The state has provided some relief to the small businesses during this time. They, there's been examples, you know, tax deferrals. There's a grant of $10,000 made available to small businesses employing less than 10 people. And as we come out of this crisis, we need to make sure that we are setting policy to support small businesses. They need to have some structured repayment of these loans that they've been given and the tax deferrals. They need to make sure that our small businesses have access to um, federal funds that are coming in at the state level and ensuring the benefits, the unemployment benefits are extended to the workers during job sharing opportunities, things that we can do to get people back to work. Um, and that's gonna be a priority for me. Um, yeah. We have or to aid our frontline workers and those who have lost their jobs during the crisis. In the coming days, tough choices will be made and my district will know that I'm, they know my values, they know I'm here. I um, will fight for workers, families and community. Um, as far as what I've been doing to address the crisis, uh, it initially started out at the beginning that I was really focused on ensuring that our first responders had the, were able to do their jobs safely without risk of unintentionally you know, contracting and unintentionally spreading the virus to our community. And this included ensuring that the 911 calls were screened prior to dispatch so they were aware of what they were walking into, that they got PPE prioritization. And then daily evaluation and consultation with our city manager and emergency management director and then a legal counsel led me to the decision that I would have to declare a state of emergency for Puyallup. Um, one of the first things I did was meet with the Puyallup Main Street Association to hear about issues that they were facing and brainstorm ideas that we as the city could be um, of assistance to them. And so the result of that meeting was that we hired a, the city hired a social media consultant to work on getting words out of who's open, who has adapted to online, um, how we could support that. And also we added a link, a resource page to the city's website. Um, but take it like Takeout Tuesday is an example that, that Puyallup has started. Takeout Tuesdays, and we keep pushing that out and to support the businesses. Um, and out of a concern for our social services in the city, I asked the community grants committee to convene and determine if there were additional resources needed to address the, you know, the crisis. Um, out of that, we they contacted the social services. Uh, resource, the providers to see what resources they might be needing and it came up that they need the food banks were needing some money and some um, assistance so we provided ten thousand dollars to provide some relief there we pledged that utilities will not be shut off during this crisis we deferred late fees um, for 60 days after the stay home stay healthy order um, has opened or has ended and the city opened a temporary care shelter for the Puyallup the Puyallup Valley Sports Complex for homeless adults. Um, and it, we have food being brought in. We have the health department coming in and checking on people to make sure that they're, that they're not sick um, and caring for their needs. Um, currently, my time is spent, a lot of my time is spent working with staff, constituents, and small businesses 
to access resources available to them and concerns of issues they're experiencing. And a lot of that looks like dealing with the governor's office and the county, even Congressman Heck's office, just trying to make sure that people are getting connected to what they need. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Mayor Dorr. Um, I'll turn to you now, Jamie Smith. Um, you are a teacher and a coach. You have served as a union rep. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you are running for state representative. Yeah. So I am a local teacher. I teach high school social studies at Rogers High School. I used to be down at Puyallup High School and some of the Tacoma schools. And when I, so my dad's a teacher, my mom's a nurse, my brother's a police officer. So when I was trying to decide what to go into, a big thing for me was public service. That's what my family is really focused on. And so I decided when looking that education is what I wanted to do, because I know the history of my family. My dad was raised by a single mother with five kids and they were raised in extreme poverty. I'm talking in third grade, he was literally out digging sand shrimp to sell by the side of the road before school started so that he could afford school clothes. My grandfather on my mom's side, raised by a single mom when his dad passed away during the depression and she would have to go um, looking for jobs farther and farther away there in Montana. And he would have to go as an elementary and middle schooler begging for food door to door because they didn't have enough. And she would constantly have to come back after being told, you're perfect for this job, it's just too bad you're a woman and have to go back and not have food for her son again. The one thing they had was they had education. They knew that they had to go to school. Amazingly, in extreme poverty, all five of my dad and his siblings went to college and they were able to escape that to poverty because of that because they grew up at a time where even kids in poverty could afford to go to college. Whereas I see a lot of my students don't have that ability now. So I see this, I see the education. It's what got my grandfather out of poverty. He went to the military, they paid for his um, undergrad. He got a master's, he got a PhD. He was in charge of education for the military in East Asia at one point. And I know it's poverty that broke that cycle because everything in my history, every stat says I should not be where I am but it was that education that got us out. And so I went into education because I want that for my students. Unfortunately, what I've found is that for many colleges out of reach, we haven't been promoting the trades, which are wonderful jobs, good paying jobs, that a lot of our kids don't know about. I am having more and more kids that are homeless. Right now, the statistic is one in every 25 students in our state is homeless. I have more dealing with mental health. And what I'm seeing is that all of these things that have helped my family get out of poverty have not been offered to this generation of kids. So being a union member I, and representative for my building, I would constantly go to the union meetings and they would say, we need more teachers down in Olympia because they don't know what our kids are actually dealing with now. They don't understand what our kids and their families are dealing with now. And one day it just kind of clicked, well, if we need more teachers down in Olympia, then I guess more teachers have to run. And I shouldn't ask someone to do what I'm not willing to do, so I have run. And some of you may know I've run before and I haven't won, but in 2018, we were within 611 votes. And what I've still seen, though, is we still have these issues. I still have more kids dealing with mental health issues. I have families that work two or three jobs and are still dealing with homelessness. We have students who are graduating and don't know what they're gonna do because they can't afford college, but they haven't even been exposed to the trades and the skills they need. And so I wanna go down to Olympia to make sure that we're helping our families and giving them what they require now to help them succeed. Because education is that underlying fundamental that you need for everything in life, for our small businesses, our large businesses, our scientists, our doctors, our lawyers, our teachers, it starts with that education. You know, you talked about your close margin in 2018. You came within less uh, than a point uh, of beating Kelly Chambers. Uh, and I wonder just briefly, what lessons did you take from that? And how do you uh, plan to apply them in 2020? So a, a big thing is, you know, it shows us that our area wants a change. Our area is looking to help families. Our area is looking to help with housing. Our area is looking to help with transportation. And they, they want a change and they want somebody new to come in. I, I actually did run back in 2016. I got almost 3,000 more votes in 2018. You know, our area um, 
Well, it's kind of split between Hillary and Trump. And by 2018, you can see that it's going, it's going more progressive. It's going more blue. It's saying we really do need to help our community. Puyallup is, it means the land of the generous people. And I think our, our area is starting to realize that people haven't been fighting for everyone that needs to be. And so we're starting earlier this time. Um, I, the consultant I chose is because he has the number one win record. So we're starting earlier with fundraising. We, um, Brian Duffy, Julie Dorn, and myself are so excited to be able to, you know, we got a strong ticket that's going. We got small business. We got education. We have, you know, first responders. We are just going to go forward and, and we are collecting even more volunteers. We have people lined up at the ready to make phone calls. And one day we'll be able to knock doors. One day, I promise, <laughs> we'll be able to knock doors again. Meet everyone. So it's, you know, we look at when you talk to people, when you have those conversations, I think the reason that we're able to do that is I was able to talk with more conversations. And I know when you talk with Brian, you got to ask him how many doors he knocked on because he is a machine. But when we talk to our community and we tell them how we want to fight for them, they believe in us. And we're all three of us are going to show them that we're going to fight them, they're going to vote for it. We're going to go down and we're going to have some real changes in the way to really help the individuals who live there. Okay. Um, Jamie, thank you so much. I'm just going to ask if there's anything that you can do to improve your connection a little bit, maybe take it off of Wi-Fi and, and put it onto cellular. You're, you're kind of breaking up just a little bit. Um, I'll give you a second with that and uh, bring in Brian Duthie, uh, who we definitely will ask, uh, Brian, about your uh, your record number of, of door knocks. Um, I will just introduce you by saying you are a first responder with the Port of Seattle at SeaTac. You are also a combat veteran with the Air Force Reserves. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why you are running this year for state representative. Yes, uh, thank you, Stefan. And I think I would like to start off by acknowledging what a great group of candidates we have. If I was to sit down and just pencil out the candidates who I'd want to run, we have a small business owner and local mayor. We have a local teacher and a first responder. I mean, if you can't pick a better group than that, I can't imagine one. Uh, I'm so proud to be running alongside Julie and Jamie, two amazingly brilliant dedicated and strong women, and I have learned a lot and will continue to learn a lot from them, and I'm just grateful to be alongside them. A little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in the local area, and we didn't have a whole lot of money, which gives me the great benefit of having lived all around the district, and when I was out doorbelling last cycle, I could essentially say, I, you know, I lived within a mile of everywhere where I was at while uh, I was doorbelling because we had to move around a lot. You know, we, we were renters. And so we, we know the pain it takes to, to uproot and move from place to place and not grow up on a whole lot of money. We were that family who would have to go down to the Gulf Valley food bank and pick up our big block of government cheese. And so I certainly grew from very humble roots. My first job was here at the local YMCA. I was uh, the first batch of employees here. And so my, my roots and my connections to the people run deep. And that's what really inspired me to want to continue service. And how that service has kind of developed is 9-11 happened when I was 18. And so for me, that was a call to action. And the immediately, immediate thing I could do was enlist in the military. And I chose uh, the Air Force. And I spent 10 years in the Air Force Reserves. For the first five years, I was a, an aircraft mechanic. And for the last five, I got my dream job of being a firefighter. And I took full advantage of every opportunity that they gave me. Every deployment opportunity I took, I ended up going to Kyrgyzstan, Iraq, and Oman. Um, essentially, if there was somewhere to go, I was the first person to raise their hand and say, my bag's ready to pack, let's go. And that's kind of how I've always lived my life. I've always wanted to serve uh, people in the best way I can. And that certainly led with my values and led with my morality. Uh, transitioning from the military, I wanted to start a family. And military service makes it very difficult. And I certainly understand that from being deployed three times. And I started to look around Washington State and the communities of most need in the fire service where I'm most comfortable. And I landed me for the city of Everett. And that's kind of what changed everything. So my first day of being in Everett, 
was actually the day that my daughter was born. So I'm the only employee ever to call out his first day of employment. <laughs> and so the chief was very gracious. He said, take all the time you need and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, chief. So being an Everett really opened my eyes to a lot. Essentially, what I saw there is I would be in people's homes, dealing with some kind of medical issues, some kind of emergency, but I could only solve one problem at a time. And so often I would see children who are in very desperate situations and in extreme poverty and knowing that I'm taking, you know, their primary care provider, you know, their, their parent, their, their grandma, their aunt, uncle to the hospital, and they're kind of being left behind and continuing the same cycle. Well, ultimately, the one thing that we can do to help give them a chance to get out of that cycle is to provide them with a world-class public education. That is the one great equalizer across the board. Having grown up with not a lot of money, I was lucky enough to grow up in the Puyallup area where I had access to amazing teachers across the board. And the state legislature, the Supreme Court, has stated that the paramount duty is to fully fund public education. So that's what really sparked my interest in wanting to run for a state office. And then diving into kind of who represented us in our district, I certainly was not satisfied with their commitment to actually serve the people. Uh, in the fire service, as a first responder, we are, we are connectors of people. We want to interact with people. We want them to feel safe, to feel heard, and we want to respond to what they need. And our representatives across the board, we're not doing that. And it's just unacceptable. Their job is to serve the community, is not to serve themselves. So I made the, the plunge in 2018 to uh, throw my hat in the ring, and uh, I learned a lot. I grew a lot as a person and a candidate. And we came up just a little shy, just about two points shy. Um, in doing so, I was able to doorbell 14,273 doors. Wow. I got third in the state for, for Democrats in doorbelling, and I loved it. So doorbelling for me is fantastic it's a chance for me to get out there in the open to connect with people to to hear their stories uh you know to spread a little bit of joy across the district you know so often i would come to a door especially out in like the summit um or the, the outskirts of our district and people are like i've lived here all my life no one's ever showed up at my door to ever ask what i care about or what i could use and it's fantastic that you're here. You know, I may have Fox News on in the background, but you're showing up and you're listening. So I'm going to give you a chance. And we certainly proved that as a first-time candidate coming so close to winning the seat. And so what we're doing now is we're building on the goodwill that we have done. I'm a candidate of positive reinforcement. I want to lead with my beliefs and my values. I think that the best way to draw a contrast is to highlight what makes you a great candidate and actually give someone a reason to vote for you as opposed to a reason to vote against someone else. That's kind of a snapshot of where we're at. Um, we're certainly in very difficult times. Uh, I think it's more clear now than ever that we need to elect public safety advocates who truly understand what is ahead. We are in for a very long, hard road. It will take massive coordination, not only across the state, but across the nation and across the world. We're going to need to have people who have the patience and the understanding that we need to listen to our scientific community, our medical community, and make all our judgments based off of facts and based off of science. And so we're pressing forward, and I look forward to serving our community. Terrific. Uh, thanks to all three of, of you for uh, for your wonderful introductions. We are going to open it up for audience questions now. Uh, we're at the half hour mark. Uh, we are going until eight o'clock. And so I'm just going to ask each of you to be as concise as you can. We have a number of questions and I'd like to get to as many as possible. So uh, concision will be important. I'm going to start with a question from Malachi. Uh, or Malachi uh, and the question is about homelessness. How are you going to address the booming homeless situation? And uh, Mayor Dorr, you answered this a little bit. And so I, I think I'm going to start with Jamie Smith on this one. Uh, how do you address the, the homeless situation in the 25th? So I think one thing you have to look at and what I start with when I talk to people at Doors is, 
are you talking about the visual homeless? Or are you talking about what our police department in Puyallup estimates as 80% of the invisible homeless? That's people like my students. That's people like their families. Um, Because those are two different areas that you're going to have to look at. I have a lot of students and a lot of families, for instance, who are working two or three jobs, but they can't afford the cost of living. In our area, oftentimes a one-bedroom is $1,500. And so that's going to be an area where we have to look into having more affordable housing units where we have to look at if you work, you should be able to afford your own bills. You know, if you're following the rules and you're doing what you're supposed to, and you're putting in those 40 times, 60 or 80 hours a a week, and you can't even support yourself, then we as a society are doing something wrong. And so we're going to have to look into that because, you know, everyone's told, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but they are, and they still can't get by. So something is wrong with how we run society. So we're going to have to look at um, how people are paid. We're going to have to look at affordable housing um, for that. And then we're also going to have to look at, for instance, evictions. If you have an eviction on your record, it's very hard to get back into a place. So you're going to need more um, potentially state or city outreach programs to help people get into housing, especially rapid housing for families, for women with children. A lot of um, women and children are escaping domestic violence. And so that's a whole other area there. For the 20% that we consider the visible homeless, you have kind of a chicken and egg thing for a lot of them. It's a lot of people say, oh, they're drug addicts. They, you know, they have drinking problems. That might be true for some. It might not be for others. And in all honesty, if I had to live outside every day, especially being a woman when their likelihood of being raped is astronomical, there's a, we have to deal with all of those underlying factors that they're going to deal with. A lot of these people might have addictions because they were self-medicating. And so one of the things that I would love to look into is some people know the Rainier School. It's been a school for those with developmental disabilities that they're actually um, have been working on shutting down. But it's a facility with 1,500 beds that has medical there that has job training skills there. And I would love to be able to research and see if that could be something where we could turn it into something like a 90-day rehabilitation for those who are the um, visible homeless that could help them get over any addictions that they may have, could give them job training skills, could give them that stable housing. Because what we found with mental illness is until you have stable housing, that has to come first. Yeah. Mental illness really cannot be fixed if you do not have a stable place to lay your head every night and a safe place to lay your head. And I've talked with some business owners who said, you know, okay, right now our economy is a little different. But just a little bit ago when we had very low unemployment, they're desperate for workers. And if we could give them more workers, we can give them time to stabilize. We can give them connections to businesses in the community then this could help a lot of people get off the streets as well and also get them contacted back if they're not from the area where if their families that in the area or out of the area that they came from. So right. I think it's a multi-part um, piece, but that's kind of, sorry, I went long, but that's some of my ideas. <laughs> okay, very good. Brian Duthie, I'll put the same question to you uh, about how you would address the homeless situation. Yeah, so Jamie did a fantastic job of overlaying kind of what the, the problems are. I will be a little more specific in uh, my response as a first responder. So typically what I would see out in the streets of Everett is I would pick up a patient and whether I take them to the ER or they go to a shelter or they stay on the streets or they go to jail, they're continuing the same cycle. Essentially what we're doing is we're already paying for the services. We're just not paying for uh, an effective outcome. And so often, you know, we, I would be in the back of the rig talking to the individual who is homeless and I would kind of ask him, you know, why, you know, have you tried a, a treatment program or, you know, have you, treat, have you tried one? Has it worked out for you? And they are so desperately discouraged because there's no continuing program for them. And throughout the state, what we've seen is, you know, perhaps Seattle's doing their own thing and Tacoma's doing their own thing, and Spokane's doing their own thing. Kind of everywhere in between, they're not really coordinating any of the resources. At the state level, Western State is woefully underfunded, understaffed, and it's a risk, not just for the patients, but for all the staff that's there. We need to fully staff that and fully fund Western State. We need to work regionally across the state through all the municipalities to spread out the workload, because it, these are our community members. These are our brothers, our sisters, our, our mothers, our daughters, and they are still people. Yes, they may be dealing with addiction that is masking the true underlying problem, but guess what? We have to work with the social workers to get them the treatment that they need. We need to have it to be manageable sizes so that the social worker, that healthcare provider can actually 
work with the individual, get them the treatment that they need and get them along the path to recovery. Certainly homelessness is a symptom of a bigger problem. Yeah. We certainly need to advocate for housing first to get them on the right path and actually give them hope along the way. Well, since you uh, mentioned affordable housing and Mayor Dor, I'll bring you into this. And as I said, you in your introduction, you uh, addressed the homelessness situation a little bit. But I, I would love your answer to fold in the, the question of affordable housing, because it is a challenge pretty much everywhere in Washington. And I'm wondering how it's playing out in the 25th and, and what you would do to address that in conjunction with homelessness. So great question. Uh, we've been working on affordable housing at the city uh, we passed the a bill, a resolution to to um, convert part of the sales tax into uh, funds for the city that are able to be used for affordable housing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm part of the South Sound Housing um, Affordability Pro or South Sound for and I'm trying to think what the P is. South Sound Partnership. South Sound ha Affordable Housing. Uh, partnership, and that is a Pierce County-wide um, group of elected officials that we are convening, trying to trying to coordinate some responses and uh, maximize our resources to be able to address that issue region-wide instead of uh, jurisdiction jurisdiction by jurisdiction. We um, Puyallup has passed ADUs, which was um, quite a feat. Our council is a little bit divided on a lot of, I'm sure you guys have seen the papers. Um, so getting ADUs passed was really important. The council is, our council in Puyallup is, is now getting on board and being united on having to address this. And it's very important as far as homeless prevention. So we have to have, we have to have affordable housing units. Can you, can you explain ADU? ADU is an accessory dwelling unit. Okay. And so you, we allowed um, each property owner, depending on the square footage, to have an a, the ADU is relative to the size of their home. There's a percentage, but that would enable people to have another family member on the property. It's a smaller unit, detached from it can be attached or detached from the primary residence, but that gives people an option. Um, to be able to live on the same property as another family member, that and that's a huge step, and that was a huge step with our aging in place um, community as well. Okay, uh, thank you for that. I, I want to shift over and uh, talk about climate. Uh, Julie uh, with Indivisible Tacoma wants to know if you will support renewables and resist fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, Jamie, I think you uh, were the last, uh, the, the furthest one back to speak. So let's start with your answer on that. Climate in climate and the environment is absolutely huge. We have to look at renewables. We have to look at moving away from fossil fuels. Um, we, you know, we, we've seen the science behind it. We've seen how much has been changing. And in all honesty, with COVID and the world basically shutting down, it's amazing how they can see the Himalayas in India. That's only you know forty miles away from them right now. Uh, in the Philippines, they actually have their turquoise water coming back. And I'm really hoping that um, that what we can do is we can start continuing to build on this, that people will start to realize how much this and how important this is, and that we can start focusing on more of those renewables. And I would love for us to be able to start investing in those in our state because it would provide more state jobs because we are so reliant on, we're the number one trade dependent state in the nation. Pierce County is the number one trade dependent county in the number one trade dependent state in the nation. So if we can build more of those jobs, those renewable, those um, electricity, I would love to do more research into the tidal energy that UW is doing because and um, OSU down in Oregon because they're constant and renewable. Um, these are things that can provide us with jobs, good paying jobs, clean jobs. And you know, it would even help with tourism in other areas because people come to our area because it's beautiful. And we need to keep it that way. And we need to protect the environment that we have. And we need to protect and make sure that our children, our grandchildren, and the next seven generations have clean air and clean water. Terrific. Uh, Brian, I will put the same question to you. Will you support renewables and resist fossil fuel infrastructure? 
Absolutely. I think, you know, we've been given an opportunity to have a snapshot in time of what it would look like if we reduced our carbon footprint. Um, in LA, the smog is drastically reduced. Um, more profound is the, actually the impact that it will have on people's health. People with asthma, people with the respiratory problems already are dealing with a lot. I think not just with a nature, but with a, a human connection, we can actually get people to listen to the message and understand that we need to provide uh, a community and a lifestyle, not for us, but for the future, the future generations, my daughter, her kids, and we need to continue to push away from fossil fuels towards renewable resources because we only have one planet. We have to be responsible with what we're doing to the planet. And now we're actually being shown the actual human effects that we are having on our planet on a daily basis right now. Mayor Dorr, same question to you. Uh, will you support renewables and resist fossil fuel infrastructure? Yes, absolutely. Um, climate change is a very serious threat that needs to be addressed urgently. I'm very proud of the work that our state has done being a leader in, in um, enforcing environmental protections, but there is definitely more work to be done. I think we should be moving away from the carbon industries, but we gotta be very clear about the fact that this will have impacts on workers and their families. And we need to make sure that we're addressing that while we're doing this. We need to make sure that there's retraining, job opportunities for displaced workers, and that we should be, I think we should be looking at making sure that that's, those things are available in the communities where um, there are the, jo the jobs are for fossil, uh, um, yeah, fossil fuels. You know, each of you has mentioned in some way the connection between uh, coronavirus and the uh, and the climate. And I, I will also ask you, just related to health care, um, if you think that coronavirus is changing people's attitudes toward access to health care as a right. And since, uh, Mayor Dorr, we're with you, let's, uh, let's have you answer that question. I would certainly hope it's changing. I don't know that for a fact, but I believe that the... Um the COVID pandemic has really emphasized the deficiencies in our healthcare system and the reason that we need universal healthcare. Healthcare is a human right and everyone deserves access to that. We are fortunate that um, the governor has, that Washington state has adopted policies to ensure people have access to it. And the governor mentioned that today that they were receiving a lot of um, a lot of contacts with people being very concerned about their you know, they're getting laid off and they're losing their health care and that we need to do some, make sure that we, they have access to that. Um, and thousands of Washingtonians are uh, struggling with the cost of health care, especially amidst this, this breakout. So um, I think we can, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and I think that we need to make sure that we are expanding access to healthcare. Jamie Smith, I, I want to put the, I'm especially keen to put the question to you because I know that you highlight healthcare as a real priority. Um, so I, I'm curious how you would proceed in uh, in session next year if, if you are, are part of session uh, as, you know, coming off the end of, or perhaps even still in the midst of the, uh, the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic, how you might approach the issue of universal healthcare. Yeah, so I think one of the things is that there's actually some studies being done in the state right now looking at a healthcare for all model and how much it will cost. And I think Brian Duffy said it perfectly that we're already paying for the services, but we don't have the effective outcome. Right. And one of the things some of the studies are finding is that when you do provide healthcare for everybody, they go to the doctor before it turns into a complicated issue and it actually ends up saving us money. Also, when everyone has health care, then the doctors and the services know that they are going to get funding, that they are going to get paid. And so you're also helping your rural areas where you have a lot of um, a lot less hospital access for many of our people. So that's actually helping across the state. A lot of our rural hospitals right now, they don't know how they're going to make it because they are shutting everything down but COVID, which means the other funding that's coming in isn't coming in. And so we this making sure everyone has health care is going to help with that. Most studies have found it, it's really going to cost us the same or in the long run, it will save us more money. And so I think we have to look at how do we make sure that everybody has access, whether that's providing it through the state or whether it's um, working with businesses, because I know multiple people who work 30, 60 hours a week. And, or, and what they're finding is that a lot of companies will keep you right at that 29 hours, because once they hit 30, they have to provide you with health care. So they'll work two jobs 
58 hours a week and they still don't have access to healthcare. And so we have to make sure that we find a way, whether it's through the businesses or through the state, to make sure that everybody is covered in the state. In the long run, it will cost us less money. And I just think it's unconscionable that in the richest nation that the world has ever seen, that we have people dying from preventable diseases and preventable um, issues that we have the medication to be able to cure. And I think COVID is showing us this even more with one issue. And I think it's also showing a lot of people how when you have to rely only on your business for healthcare, if you don't work for that company anymore, your healthcare is gone at the time when you're going to need it the most. So my ideal view would eventually be universal healthcare for all, because I think that is the most effective way to get everybody healthcare, no matter where you're working. Brian, I'll put the same question to you, and you've touched on this a little bit, but as a first responder especially, how do you think coronavirus may be changing people's attitudes toward uh, healthcare as a right? So this is uh, the topic that I'm extremely passionate about uh, because it has been my, my entire adult life has been trying to save as many people as possible. Overwhelmingly, people support uh, some version of a Medicare for all. And what this crisis has shown is how dangerous it is to have your healthcare tied to your employment. That is not a good model. It's not a model that we should be pushing forward with. To, to make it in the most simplest terms, when I'm on a call, and I have to pick up someone because they can't afford their prescription, but they know that if they go to the ER when their body's crashing from not having the prescription that they need, and I'm on the way to take them there, if I get a call for a heart attack or a stroke that's one block away, I can't stop the rig, push the person out, respond to the heart attack call. Our resources are being spread so dangerously thin before COVID-19 hit, we were spread dangerously thin. Our ER wait times were incredibly high before all this happened. We are pushed to the absolute brink right now. Now, what healthcare does is it doesn't just help that individual by his or herself. What it does is it creates a whole lifeline of making better choices. When you have access early to healthcare, you can get the medical conditions under control easier. It will bring costs down significantly. You will have a whole new generation of healthier people who are making healthier lifestyle choices because they've had access to healthcare the entire time. They've had regular checkups. They've had the medication that they need. They understand how their body systems work. We need to provide in the richest country on the planet uh, a safety net, a system that actually works for the people to give us the economic growth that will stimulate to having a healthy workforce. And so healthcare for all is... Uh, what I'm deeply passionate about and is something I will fight for at every level. All right. Thank you uh, all for those actually quite wonderful and inspiring answers. Um, I we're, we're running somewhat short on time. I do want to touch on education because we did have a few questions about that. Uh, so uh, we'll start with you, Mayor Dorr. Um, we know that education funding has been problematic in the state most recently with the McCleary ruling forcing compliance. How would you best like to see uh, schools funded? And also, we had a question uh, from Noel about uh, funding special education as well. So I think both, I'm going to address Noelle's question first. Education is very near and dear to my heart. As she knows, I have a son on an IEP um, and I've seen challenges that from our teachers, that our teachers are facing with that issue and challenges for my son. And it, I've had conversations with um, some of our school board members that are really disheartening to me. Um, that they would, they would want to leave that out. So I would address both of those issues by closing loopholes. Um, I, Do you mean corporate asked, loopholes when you say loopholes? Yes, I'm, okay. so, I'm sorry. Yes, corporate loopholes and possibly, you know, looking at the wealthy paying their fair share. They're, they need to pay, uh, we're, you know, we're disproportionate on that issue. And I'm open to funding streams that would take the burden off of working families. I would be working with the teachers. Um, they're going to be, for their needs, but th that's my basic. I don't have a specific funding policy, but that's how I would address it. Okay, I'll I'll turn it over to you, uh, Jamie Smith, because again, I know that this is a real uh, area of concern for you as a teacher, as a as an instructor. Um, so I'll put the same question to you: How would you like to see schools funded? And I, I would love for you to address the uh, the special education uh, aspect of this as well. Thank you. Yeah. So one of the really big things is that. 
when you look at education funding, we're still relying very heavily on levies and bonds. And the Supreme Court had ruled the state has to pay their fair share, and they have been doing more, but we're still having these levy issues. I know in the Puyallup School District, we're in this kind of little loophole where we're the ninth largest school district in the state, and yet we're one of the bottom quarter when it comes to how much money we actually collect per kid. And so we're going to have to look at that and relook at how we're actually distributing money because what that means is because every one of our students gets less money than all of the students in the districts next to us, we don't have those resources to pay for those special education funding for more paraeducators, for more mental health and so forth. So we're going to have to readdress that because there are those big loopholes there. And then we're going to have to, of course, as, as Mayor Dorr mentioned, look for new um, streams of funding to be able to pay for some of these. But with special ed, they they really kind of pushed that off. They said, here's more funding for education. We'll deal with that later. Well, later has come and go. And our students are in school now and need help now. You can't tell a student, oh, by the way, we fixed it 10 years from now. Sorry, you weren't here to help you be prepared for the rest of your life. And so we have to make sure that we are having some of our special ed classes are astronomically high. We don't have enough paraeducators. And so we have to invest in our students, which means investing in those areas. We also, a big thing for me is mental health. I have more students dealing with mental health issues than I've ever had before. And the legislature just passed more mental health for counselors, more money for counselors. And unfortunately, with COVID, it was vetoed. And we're going to have to make some really hard decisions in the next time. And that may not be able to pass because of funding. And so one of the things I would like to look into that wouldn't actually cost us any more money is to just make sure that the state pays for one counselor for every 250 kids, that that money has to go towards counselors. We have um, some, some schools in the Puyallup School District where we have over 800 kids and only one counselor. And that means if that counselor wanted to talk with every kid once, they'd have maybe a half an hour to talk with the kid and they wouldn't get back to them till the next semester or the end of the school year. And then also making sure that we have dedicated time set aside every day for counselors to work with students, not all of the testing that comes along with it, not all of the other paperwork that takes their time away, but actually dealing with our students directly is using them in a more effective way to help our students. And it won't cost us um, more money in the next legislative session to say that counselors must spend X amount of time with actual students each day. Brian Duthie, I'll just give you a couple of moments to, uh, to dovetail on that. How would you like to see education funded? Yeah, so uh, Jamie and Julie both had excellent ideas on how to create revenue, uh, but I would like to focus on kind of what we're seeing now and where we can go forward. Uh, what we're seeing now is special needs is, seems to be the first thing that gets dropped off on the, the fund budget line item. It's the first thing that's gone, uh, which is unacceptable. I have a, a sister of special needs, and she has dealt with that all her life. Uh, growing up in the Puyallup School District, uh, I can tell you, you know, my experience is I had a great educational experience. However, even way back then, the, the school class sizes were already too big. And the portables that I went to school in are still there. Uh, my, my nieces currently go to school in the school district. My daughter will be starting kindergarten next year. Uh, being able to look the, the parents in the eye and saying, I'm fighting uh, for their kids to have, you know, great education, to have smaller class sizes, to pay their, their teachers what they're worth working with local PL educator like Jamie Smith and Karen McNamara and Franklin Pierce with Pam Cruz and getting you know their view on how we can best support them because without supporting them, we're not supporting our kids. And isn't that what it's all about? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Completely agree. Uh, yeah. At the basic level, we want to take care of our kids, but what does that do for the economy? When Once you start to provide uh, an excellent educational institution, well, what you're providing is fantastic workers. You know, in the fire service, we are a trade organization. Trade schools are an excellent source of great jobs. We don't need someone who can do long division when we need to put out a fire. We need them to be able to understand concepts and ideas in the way that works for them. Standardized testing just teaches to a test. There are so many students who are falling farther and farther behind because they are, are held in these tiny uh, constraints of where they are only being measured by one metric. And that's not fair. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to tie any of their performance to the school or the teachers. We need to look at how each individual kid learns and try to best adapt to get the most out of each individual child. 
Okay. Well, we are just about out of time. I want to, first of all, thank each of you uh, for uh, being with us on the broadcast tonight. And I'll just give you uh, about 30 seconds each, if we can, to just give some final comments and uh, let people know where they can find you online, what what you could use, what sort of help you could use with your campaigns. Uh, And Mayor Dorr, let's start with you. Thank you. I just want to say that... um, I think that we have, as Brian and Jamie had said, we have a really strong team in the 25th. I think we're very complimentary to each other and that we're united in this race. So I think we're all gonna win. I appreciate both their experience um, and expertise. So for me, you can, my website is juliedor.org. Um, we definitely need volunteers out. We're campaigning in a time like this is a little bit uh, different if we can't get to the door. So if people that are willing to phone bank, um, everybody needs donations. If you if it's $10 a month, or you know that would be great. Whatever you can do to help. But thank you so much for hosting this. And I look forward to working with you. Jamie Smith, final words from you. Yeah, um, thank you. I am so looking forward to being able to work with everybody. Um, We have three different backgrounds that are going to work so well to help out the individuals in the 25th. And I'm just looking forward to going down and and really fighting for our community because that's what we need down there and making sure that we can really help the the individuals who matter most. And and that's the people in, in Washington state. Uh, my website is votejamiesmith.com. Um, that's Jamie, J-A-M-I-E. So you can go there to sign up to volunteer, to donate. We're always looking for funds, of course. Um, but we're always looking for volunteers to help out. And as Julie mentioned, right now we're doing phone calls. We're, we're calling in and we're checking on our neighbors. We're seeing if they need anything, if we can get them access to any resources. And then just, you know, we're here for the community. And I, I have to say there, there's a lot of uncertainty in these changing times. But the one thing I am certain of is that as we come out of this, I want to be in the room helping out our community and making those decisions so that we can all move forward together. Terrific. And if anybody has uh, any issues spelling your name, it's right there on the t-shirt behind you. So, uh, Brian, Brian Duffy, you get the last word. Nice, nice placement. Uh, thank, you, thank you all um, individual, uh, not just for tonight, but all of the work that you've done. Uh, throughout the time that you've been around. You are are true leaders throughout the community. Uh, I certainly love the work that you're doing and keep up the fight. You are not alone. Uh, We are here with you and we will continue to fight with you. I think that the great thing about the the three of us, Jamie, Julie, and myself, is you will never have to question our motives of why we want to run. It's because we want to serve our community. And wouldn't it be nice to wake up and know that you don't have to worry about your elected officials because you know that they are going to wake up and think about you the entire day. They're going to fight for you like hell, and we're going to win this because you deserve people who care about people over profits. Terrific. Uh, Brian Duthie, Julie Dore, Jamie Smith, uh, thank you all so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who's listened tonight and joining us on the broadcast. Uh, And please, I will say, join us next Tuesday, the 21st. We will be speaking with Representative Gail Tarleton, who is running for Secretary of State, and also with Mike Pellicciotti, who is running for Treasurer. We hope to see you there. And that is it for today. My enormous thanks to my partners, Julie Andrzejewski of Indivisible Tacoma and Kat Pipkin of the Washington Indivisible Network. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast Podcast Network. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.